Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Podcaster and Commander Sessions bonus episode of the podcast where I unleash an entire conversation with an incredible guest on the show. This is the first of its kind. There will be more. And as you can hear by this incredible track by Post Malone and Sway Lee, Sunflower, I am today unleashing onto the internet a conversation with the Academy Award-winning director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Peter Ramsey, to talk about his love of Peter Weir and his amazing career. And if you didn't know that he was an Academy Award-winning director of Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, or you hadn't heard that he's recently directed a live-action episode of Ahsoka, or that he's worked on countless live-action films as a storyboard artist like Backdraft, Boys in the Hood, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Minority Report, you're about to hear a little bit about, uh, about his career, about his time. But first, let's talk to him, this incredible man, this incredible talent, about Peter Weir. I guess, Peter, just talk to me about your connection to Peter Weir. What is, because you are a filmmaker, even in your, 
artwork, I would imagine, and, and particularly in the films that you've directed and had a big influence on your imprint. You've, you've had this affinity for both outsiders and sometimes problematic mentors. And so mm. if I then cast my gaze immediately at Peter Weir's filmography, another Peter, um, if I look at that, it is... There, there are two films that are like, or three, actually probably a trilogy of films that are right mm. in the middle. His first of big foray into American cinema with Witness, Mosquito Coast and Dead Poet Society that feel like mm. they land squarely on some of those thematic preoccupations with you. But please, without me being prescriptive, please tell me about your relationship <laughs> to, to Peter Weir and his films. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, um, those, those particular themes actually probably aren't the things that really draw me to Weir. I mean, those are, it's more of a vibe with him. It really is more of, uh, you know, I think the first Peter Weir's uh, film I saw was Gallipoli. Yeah. And I was probably, oh, I was 16 or 17 or, or somewhere in there. What and it a, just- What a time to see that movie. <laughs> totally, totally blew me away. Just like the emotion of it and the, the way the uh, the intensity of it and the but even even beyond that there was there's just the it, it there's something in Weir's filmmaking and his I don't know if it's, if you'd call it his gaze or his his I think it's more his spiritual outlook you know his his mm-hmm. preoccupations when it comes to uh, the the more metaphysical side of just about any. Uh, any relationship or situation that comes through in his filmmaking and really, really spoke to me deeply. Cause the, I think uh, not long after that, I think I saw the last wave yeah. and that's explicitly about the supernatural and uh, you know, uh, metaphysics and, and just that sense of mystery and um, mystery and the uncanny that he evokes in that film. And of course, in Picnic and Picnic uh, on Hanging Rock. I mean, that's like the ultimate, like, I remember seeing that and just being like, just completely stunned. And, you know, with it's, it's always coupled with visual beauty in his case. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's really that, that side of weird for me. I mean, you know, and, and then, you know, when he kind of starts moving to more like, you know, quote unquote, mainstream things like I remember the year, the year of living dangerously is one of my all time favorite films, period. It's a great it's I watched it very recently. And obviously we have to couch everything in 2021 with, you know, things are problematic of portrayals exactly. or whatever. But yes, as a as 100%. an as an exercise of energy building, I think that's what I'm feeding off of you right now is this energy yeah. building of this tension that is swelling. That movie is just like it, it gives me goosebumps goosebumps just thinking about the feeling that it gives you as it's mounting towards this you know this coup this you know this complete explosion of a a, and falling of kind of a a democratic facade you know it's just it's it's really powerful stuff this colonial you know the colonial kind of way kind of ebbing and and sort of this other uh uh this this other thing breaking through but the uh again it's the you know the sequences in that film of um, Billy Kwan, actually the sequence, two sequences that incorporate uh, the song from Strauss. Yes. Uh, that's so, 
just so like yes. heart meltingly beautiful and it just lifts you lifts you into this metaphysical realm and you just the way he does that in his films and there's always there's always one you know there's one moment like that in his films generally and it, it you know he he's obviously really inspired by music and uh but it's just the way that that transports you into this this just uh metaphysical spiritual realm that uh ah, it just blows me away just completely for me that's his essence is you know a guy who can take who can take a story that's happening in a, in a world that you know we know with preoccupations we all get but infuse this like deeper layer of uh of meaning and questioning into it just yeah uh, I, th I i think i think you talk you know with gallipoli it's um gallipoli at that time it's 81 i think it's his most it's his most explicit film where you're talking about this colonial tension and you know it's it's like i think one of the folks i've already spoken to is like it's almost impossible to make an anti-war film because by definition, war films are kind of rah-rah and sometimes right. jingoistic and fall into those nationalistic tropes and cliche yeah. and whatnot. But like Gallipoli manages, I think because of that, like colonial tension and inquisition and like, who are we that underpins right. all of that? It becomes this anti-war thing because it's like, what, yeah. are we, what are we even doing this for? But I love what you said both about um, the last wave and picnic at hanging rock is that they are both wrestling with these things in an abstract way. Like in the last mm -hmm. wave, it is like, Hey, you know, see this, see this kind of Western, you know, like blooming right. into the eighties facade that we've built over this indigenous population and this indigenous right. land, indigenous country that, that's not good. <laughs> like it's, yeah. Not, it's, 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 it's it, uh, we can pretend as much as we want and we can be these like, you know, Chamberlain himself is like literally an avatar for like that British sentiment, but he's like, ah, right. uh, he's actually like got a vision. He's like, this is, yeah. there's something wrong here. And then, and picnic at hanging rock is exactly that. It's like draping all of this, you know, raised pinky swilling mm -hmm. tea little schoolgirl excursion um and then and obviously how beautiful and ethereal the whole thing is and then taking that into the bush and something right being wrong being yeah. drastically wrong that feeling like your reality is just on the outside <laughs> of a bubble and there's something underneath <laughs> there that's you know at any moment is gonna is gonna uh, over overwhelm you and and um and uh, yeah, that idea of your reality being, you know, an illusion or your relationship to it being an illusion. And there's something there's something deeper and something uh, uh, unquantifiable un just just under it. That's I, uh, it's mwah, drives me crazy. It, it, he is really special. And what's funny is um, when I did get a chance to talk to him and I, and I mentioned that especially Master and Commander for this project, is such mm. an extremely rewatchable wow. film. Um, mm -hmm. He said, he said almost this, and I'll just paraphrase him, but it was like, "Huh, that's interesting. I've never <laughs> thought, I've never thought that it could be rewatchable because it's much more of a, a vibe movie. Like it's much uh -huh. more of a film that we take plot away and we try and we right. take plot away and like replace it with place." Right. As in the place of this, the, the boat is its own thing that's navigating that bubble, as you said, of like mm -hmm. other, you know, huge 
uh, uh, you know, warring forces and colonial forces that are happening over the world mm. and, and these supernatural forces of being on the ocean and the tensions mm. of uh, politics and class and all those other things. But right now on this little island, on this little boat, it is the, it is the entire world Thank as you. we see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that movie, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I got, I, before I forget, I just want to, Russell Boyd, this, oh. his, 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 uh, preferred cinematographer, just absolutely brilliant, brilliant. One of my very favorite cinematographers. It's just, his images are, they're so, they're tactile and they're like, they're tactile and they're, they've got, you know, just the lensing, the way he uses space, and then the way he'll he'll uh, the way he can create intimacy. I mean, there's those, you know, the dinner scene in Master and Commander when he's telling the story about Nelson. Yes. You know, and the kids being <laughs> the kids being, you know, oh, can you please tell me what he said? And and Aubrey makes the joke about the salt, and you can see the kids like, oh god. Oh, god. And then Crow like turns on a dime and then gets uh, has that earnest, like just that beautiful, like genuine moment. And the, the they, you know, they go to those longer lenses and the candle lights in the foreground and the light is just beautiful and soft and and just molded. And it's just it's just there's so many moments in that movie that are that like your heart just like. Oh man, and and you don't expect to see it in a story like that. You don't expect to get that from, you know, if you're just taking it at face value. You know, oh, it's about British guys on the sea, on the open sea and the <laughs> tough ass captain and the you know scurvy guys under the decks. But it's just the way that he adds so many layers to all these characters. Almost every character, there's like, there's like, there's something just around the corner that he exploits and gives you just that little bit more. And uh, it's uh, it's just fantastic. And it's just, you know, and just the way, just the amount of story that he packs into that movie is astonishing. Yeah, I, I, he was like, it doesn't have much plot. And I was like, that's, that's kind of exactly why I think people love it because it's about, it's, we don't want, it's not all about the, you know, and, those very plot heavy and, you know, I'm yeah. speaking as a film noir lover. I mean, I love yeah. a plot heavy, you know, messy detective story. Like give me that mm -hmm. a lot of the time, but it's not, it's not essential in these because moments. They, it's about feeling because I think that what you said is like that disappointment is then immediately offset. And you said the candlelight, but it feels like, it feels like they're, every one of those faces has this kind of waxy satisfaction, this beam when he tells the real Nelson story right. of like, and it's, it's, it fills you up and you, you, you you feel as a viewer, you're getting filled up by their warmth and their beauty. And, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's great. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's all that stuff. It's the camera work. It's the, you know, it's the lenses, it's the light, it's the performances. All of them are just the writing. It's all like coming together, just perfectly orchestrated in a, in a moment like that. And it's, ah, the, the moment of the whole movie, one of them for me that just destroys me, and I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on it are, is um, there's Patrick Gallagher who plays Abelman, uh, Abel Seaman, rather, uh, Davies. And he's the big, he's one of the big, mean looking. Yeah, I know the curmudgeon, guy. Curmudgeon y sort of looking yeah. guys. And Max Perkis, who's Blakeney, 
mm-hmm. um, uh, is is at the end of the film having to uh, mm-hmm. ha- having to sew oh. up his partners. Devastating. <laughs> and Devast- when he looks at him, when he looks at Davies, and he says, "Can you help yeah. me? Can you help me?" I I have cry. I've wept many manly tears. Shall we say? Like this movie is subtly is just such a, de- it's a destructive thing because it because it's so buoyant and so and it's so heartening. This like firm friendships and fellowship yeah. that is felt yeah. in this whole crew that just moves you to tears and that oh, yeah. scene is like the the crescendo of the movie for me and how merciless they are about when they when they're doing that last like track over the faces of the casualties and you're like oh my god he died and he and he died you just you you can't believe it and then you hear um when uh when a crow who's just like man his performance in this movie is it's really it's, special it might it's, be his best He's astounding when he's reading the names and he gets to Peter Miles Kellamy and his voice kind of catches. <laughs> and oh. it's like, oh my God, he's so damn good. It, yeah, it's, it's absolutely uh, unbelievable. It's it's really funny because there's that there is that <clears throat> excuse me, there's that rusty period there where, you know, he's almost untouchable. You know, you talk about the the films that he does just like pound for pound in that period. You've got yeah. you, you really start truly with LA Confidential 97 mm-hmm, and he goes mm-hmm. the insider in 99 yeah. and then gladiator 2000 yep. yep you know beautiful beautiful mind 2001 and then he, he obviously does Cinderella man which is kind of people saying oh that's the you know that's kind of one of the last big oscar roles but yeah. master and commander comes in there at 2003 and i captain jack lucky jack man. is is as good as anything that he's done in his whole career to that it? point especially he because he kind it. of was defined if yeah. you like, by, you know, this complete rough nut um, yeah. uh, in Romper Stomper Hando in 92. Like that was his yeah. big breakout skinhead, rough, mm-hmm. you know, awful racist performance. And then he, he he completely has turned it on his head by, you know, Captain Captain Jack. Oh, and yeah. And Aubrey is so like, you know, my, my, I think my favorite parts, you know, aren't necessarily the parts where he's being, you know, a leader and kind of, inspiring leader but when he's joking when he's drunk at the table and tells the joke about the weevils and when he's (laughs) doing the galapagos island and where he's a little silly i mean i haven't read i've read like you know i've read like three quarters of the first patrick o'brien book i've got friends who's like who like i've read every one of them like twice and who are like crazy about him i'm i'm i've read now i think four I'm at yeah. four out of twenty, so I'm, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm learning frantically. Um, yeah. but, but part of the reason I think it's so magical is the way that, at least for John Colley, who was this co-screenwriter, and Peter Weir, they were both massive O'Brien fans, and they yeah. ended up putting together. And and I know that you guys would probably have things like this it, it, visually as well as for characters. Mm-hmm. Is they they just went and plucked segments from all of the 20 yes. books and went this is a great this is a great aubrey mat- maturin scene that's what it feels like and they just took like snippets and went read these five yeah. snippets from these books and you're going to get the essence of what these guys are read this and this is a battle 
read this and this is a great conflict scene or a, or, or, or a great, you know, Captain Jack conflict mm -hmm. scene and read this for a sort of a, you know, the tactician stuff. And they ended up having this yeah. kind of like, I don't know, like their own DIY encyclopedia of Aubrey yeah. slash uh, material. Yeah. And that's, that's, that is, you know, when I would, when I had read some of the book and I realized, Oh, okay. It wasn't a straight adaptation at all, No, but wow the flavor that they capture the yeah. the spirit of it the way that they distill it down i mean even even st stuff as simple as like you know the the music the uh who's it by uh boccherini the yes. the duet that they're playing yes. and the just the like the the like little jaunty feel of that it's like to me there's a couple of notes in that that just sum up the spirit of the whole spirit <laughs> That's got to be, that's the spirit of the whole series of books. They've got this lighthearted thing, but this energy to it that just is like, it's just, it's, uh, I keep, I keep trailing off and going, it's just, just, <laughs> but that's, it's just his filmmaking just does that to me. It's, it's just kind of sublime. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I think the, the more that I expansively study and deep dive on different mm -hmm. filmmakers for these different projects, especially the filmmakers that I'm personally really drawn to, or that ones, the, the projects that we've kind of deep dived on as a, as, as a cohort, um, the effortlessness of profound effort yes. <laughs> is, 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 is what I continue to be moved with because especially, you know, and Tom Rothman, who was running Fox at the time, who kind of gave, you know, you know, rather than the keys to the city, gave him the cutlass to, you know, to the, the mm -hmm. Patrick O'Brien novels. Um, you know, they built, they, they, they went down to Mexico into those huge tanks and they built right. these life-size boats and they, and they, and they spent months getting them prepared. And then they built the internal stuff on sound stages and, and they had these incredible visual effects artists that, that basically, mm -hmm just strip away those those edges of the world if you like because you know and, and i think all of that that stuff that we you know you you plead for new films to have please don't do everything in this digital format mm -hmm. if if you don't need to please have some style please have some texture and and i think that even even just across weir's work in general you know truman and 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 this particularly around that time, um, I just look at this and I'm I, I'm just floored by the amount of effort. And it's also really dangerous for someone like me, Peter, because I don't know about you. You just go, do I need an outfit from Master and Commander? Like, do I need to record the show dressed as one of Aubrey's able seamen? Maybe I should. Please, someone convince me that I should. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the 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 depth that he goes into and that you know obviously it's material that he loves but it's yeah. it's you can you can feel yeah it, it is that effortlessness born out of just a complete knowledge of the of the material and and just uh and just you know just not willing to um not willing to compromise it either you yes. know it's it's not like he's not his he's not trying to please people with his films no. he's really you know like master and commander he doesn't you know there's so many things that are unexplained or they're just you know here's the vibe of it and here's the it's happening you're there watch it experiencing it you know all the little rituals and all the little all the tiny details that that uh that happened stuff you know just the 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 i love the the comedic thread of like uh the uh the cook yes 
just being so angry. He's so yeah, angry. all the way through, and like you know, um, just kill, just, kill it. Played by David Threlfall. Kill it. There's that amazing moment when when uh, when uh, uh, Crow like he kind of yells for him, and the guy's like literally right, right behind him. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I love it so much. My my, my, my other favorite killing moment is where, um, where the boys. Oh, I'll just I'll I'll grab their names, but it's like where they bring him the. The Acheron yes. model. Oh yeah, and he's looking at it, and they're like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, what you know, cousin, my sister's cousin in Boston." Or that great little exchange. Right. And he's like, Killick, right. a few more rum rations, and yeah. Killick argues with him. It's my favorite thing. He's just like, <laughs> "We're saving that rum," for, and he's like, "Just give him, <laughs> can you just give him the rum and get out of it." Like, it's just this like beautiful. <laughs> It's just this beautiful energy that the whole thing has. And I, and I, I want to just tag back one thing that you say is like the, yeah. the ability for this movie to jump and modulate between, you know, the more serious and tactical, yeah. and you know, swashbuckling, you know, high intensity adventure, emotion and humor is great. And it's, it's, I think that why maybe it's my favorite crow performance is because it really gets into him this this adulation that especially the younger characters have for him, you know, mm -hmm. when he's, when he's teaching the boys how to yeah. line things up and how to navigate and, and spin around three times and do yep. their funny yep. little yep. superstitious activities. I really think there's so few performances that lean into him. I don't know how to describe it, but having like fun uncle energy because usually yeah. his intensity is it's maybe true. too much. But he's such a fun. He's got that funness and and warmth in this uh, and care for these young guys, especially Blake, and he giving him the Nelson book oh, when yeah. he's recovering and uh, all those things is really special. I love that that, that moment where he goes. Uh, uh, there are some particularly fine illustrations, and he kind of shows them <laughs> one. And but the thing about it is, he is treating Blakeney as a superior. Yes, you know he's like you're. He's of a higher station. I'm. He's deferring to him. It, and it, there's this like, there's this, he kind of wavers between that and sort of being a little bit of a father to him, you know, it's this, it's so like, I would, that's one where I would have loved to have like, you know, been a fly on the wall to listen to the discussions between him and Weir about, you know, how to play the dynamics in this scene, you know, what is he, what's going through his head as he's faced with this, you know, this kid who's had his arm cut off, what's, what is he feeling? And it's just, what comes through in the performance and in the, the direction of it is just like, it's like, wow. Um, well, you yourself have been a, obviously a second unit director and a, a, mm -hmm. a true fly on the wall with some great filmmakers. Yeah, what, oh yeah. what is it? What is it about those great filmmakers from your firsthand observations and you yourself as an Oscar winning director? Like what is it yourself that you can go like when you've crafted a performance, when you've got the story beats, when, Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting someone in the mindset. Is there just some extra bit of magic that happens? Is there just something else that happens sometimes that genuinely surprises you? Or is it that it's, it's, it's a confluence of everything being prepared? Because for me, like talking about someone like Michael Mann, right from the outset, Michael Mann talks about letting Pacino in six takes, give him what he had in his brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they'd be done and he'd look around and Pacino and his gang in heat, obviously he's well, not his gang, but his crew of cops, you know, the Michael mm -hmm. T. Williamson's and, and mm -hmm. Levine and, and, you know um, what and they're looking at? Yeah. You yeah. know what they're looking at? Yes. But like, 
Man didn't want that take. He had mm-hmm. something else in mind, but he let Al do what they call the oh, wild yeah. ones. And so yeah. Pacino comes up with those more verbose, crazy, mm-hmm. impulsive sort of readings, and it, they end up sort of stitching together and making that perfect thing. What do you like? What do you think that is? Is that is that all preparation, or is there sometimes there is still room to be surprised? There's definitely you want the room to be surprised. You you want that. You encourage yeah. that. What you really want. You know, if you've cast properly, you've cast it that way because there's something about the essence of that actor that is like at the at the heart of the character that they're playing. Yes. There's some energy or quality that they have that you know is right to express that character. So you always you always want that uh, that sense of life that's going to come from someplace that you couldn't have imagined yourself. And you can like what what typically happens, I think. Maybe not typically, but it happens is that, you know, an actor will be, you know, he'll be going through takes. And if you're paying attention and you're attuned to the actor and the character, there's some you're going to feel a resonance for something and you're going to feel there's like a, a it's like a little like crack opens up and you see a little <laughs> sliver of light and you go, you know what? What if he does this? And I think he, and it, it usually, that's when it works. You, a director has to say very little and the actor will go, he'll just kind of nod and do it. And then it'll be, yes, that's it. You know, and it's just that, it's just like a, it's when the, when the both of you are attuned to the moment and the, and the, uh, the, the energy, uh, the energy of the moment, I think that uh, just deeper meanings start popping out or, or like a, you, 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 fi- you suddenly find out you're stumbling on the perfect metaphor to tell the actor, like, you know what? It's almost, you just have to step to the side. Yeah. And it's, the actor, I know what you mean. I got it, got it, got it. You're building them up into this wavelength that you're both on, you know, and I yeah. feel, but it feels like that's this whole movie. It feels like the way that it, feel, it feels like that's hundred percent. If the, whatever wavelength and preparation that they did and had them all on, it feels like they're just all everyone. Yes, and 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 that's what's crazy. I think you you probably have it more so in animation, but it's 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 a crossway assembly of these different mm-hmm. elements. Is that mm-hmm. in in big films you don't usually have the thing where. I'm shooting, you know, a foreground close-up of Russell Crowe, and in the background there is a blurred face of someone steering the mm-hmm. su- the surprise, and that just happens to be Coxwain played uh, um, Bond and played by Billy Boyd, right? right. Mm-hmm. But Billy Boyd in this movie has to be in the shot, like mm-hmm. he can't just be in his trailer, right? right. And so I wonder, right. just unlike some of the other projects that we've been working on, where it is so finely tuned and reassembled, that in this, because mm-hmm. the whole world is this boat. And right. everyone has to be in every shot for everything. Yeah. And, and it's this huge collective. We are literally all in this mm-hmm. together. It, it even like feels like a sitcom in some way. It's like because the sitcom yeah. stage is everyone having to be in the yeah. shot. Um, it just feels like that whatever, whatever alchemy that was being sort of conjured is largely because of that, that time, that, 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 yeah. that, in, that intense focus on, well, Mr. Pullings, you're going to have to be in this shot and you're going to have to be here because where would you be standing? Well, you'd be standing exactly. here trying to overhear what the captain's saying just in case you need uh-huh. to pick up an order and you need to be staring and you need to be doing this. And I, I, I just love that alchemy of uh, all these people having to be in the frame together as well. I think that makes it for something pretty special because I don't think, you know, 
no offense to Gore Verbinski's outlandishly great original mm-hmm. parts of the Caribbean movies, but I don't think mm-hmm. that they were as fastidious about where, you know, an octopus <laughs> face man was standing, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, in any I, given I, shot. Um, I, think they were, I don't think that they were that, that, that <laughs> careful um, about that because it wasn't what the story that they were telling, but clearly uh, it's, it's the story that Peter Weir's telling in this. Yeah. 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 No, the, the, just the creation of the real creation of a world, you know, just like yes. real, real, uh, what's the word? Verisimilitude. Yes. You know, really putting you on that boat. That's, that's what I appreciate so much about that movie. It's just like, wow, I, I have a real extremely strong sense of what it was, what it must have, what it must have been like to, to be, you know, on one of those, uh, one of those man of wars or, or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm 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 currently in lockdown in Sydney, and oh uh, wow, so we've got a we've got a little we're 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 so close to hitting like a threshold of seventy percent double vax for our population. We've been lagging because of a million reasons. I'm not going to get into it. Don't even not even we're just going to just avoid it altogether. But what I will say is that there's a replica of Captain Cook's vessel, the Endeavour, that is usually moored in Sydney Harbour, and Um, there've been a couple of times in my life where I've been on the boat for like a work function at an old job a million years ago where you just, they do a little jaunt into the bay usually for like a, you know, uh, a nice thing. But what I've since learned is that Peter Weir actually went and chartered the Endeavour for multiple days when they were in Uh pre-production for Master and Commander because he wanted to be on the boat and I and be on the boat and be in that feeling. And I think, especially for you in animation, the entire, I, I don't know, like sensual sounds, like yeah. sensual soundscape and, and sensual, you know, uh, you know, whether it's visuals and soundscape of, of a world needs to be created everything, like mm-hmm. how a floor mm-hmm. creaks and mm-hmm. how you hear the breeze going past a window. And I think that right. for me, he was trying, he was chasing that dragon of many days on that boat, hearing things creak, hearing things move, Absolutely. stillness or not. And I, and that's what I think when you say creation of a world, that's another element that I think of in this movie is just the, the it is not just the the verisimilitude of the actors and everything, but it's just that, that whole world. quality of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so funny you say that because years back when I was still working in live action, doing live action storyboards, uh, one of the movies I worked on was a, a version of the sea wolf that Ron Howard was going to direct. Oh my goodness. It was, it was aborted, but we, it, we, you know, we went for a good number of months uh, storyboarding and he chartered, a three-masted schooner out from San Pedro here in LA. And we went out for like a three-hour, you know, three-hour trip out on the water. And it was, it's actually one of the like, it's one of my favorite days I can remember because it was such <laughs> a beautiful day. I had never been on a, you know, on a ship like that. And it was, it was like, it was absolutely beautiful. And uh, my friend, uh, a good story, storyboard artist friend of mine who was also working on it, Rick Newsom. Um, had his camera and he was like, I really want to get some shots from up in the crow's nest. <laughs> and so he got hooked up and started climbing up and I'm looking at him. I'm feeling like, wow, I can't chicken out. I got to go up too. <laughs> and yes. I got myself hooked up and we climbed up and the crow's nest was like, I think it was like 80 feet up. So it was sort of, we were actually climbing oh in the rigging God. and had safety lines. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? My ego is <laughs> My ego bit off more than I can chew, but being up there, man, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, 
just one of those, it was a peak experience and it was, you know, beautiful time of day and the, the sales were like, you know, golden oh. and it, it really, it, I can completely understand Weir's headspace and, and the, and the necessity to get out, the, get out and actually do that before you're going to take something like that on, because there was, there was, I had, I had never experienced anything like it. It was just fantastic. And when I saw, when I saw the movie, we, it was a few years after that when I saw Master Commander and was like, wow, that's what it would what it would have been like to actually, you know, make that movie. And there were so many of those views we had like, you know, oh, yeah, shot from here to shot from there. And it was like, oh, my God, that's it. Oh, my God, that's it. And this the sense memory just comes rushing back. And he just got it so well. And so just just all the below deck stuff that he does is just I, I running, think- running out the guns and all that stuff. The below deck stuff, the fact that they just were so uncompromising that yep. we are going to shoot this on this deck mm-hmm. and it is going to have low ceilings and it is going to be a pain in the ass and everyone is going to crouch, but it is going yep. to feel like this because yep. this is like not, and the other thing is, I mean, this, this shot, I imagine you as an artist and as an animator, just like froth over like I do. When they open up Jack's quarters doors, yes, and they start rolling out the cannons oh, yeah. because they see the Acheron in the fog, and yeah. you just see how close in proximity everything yep. is. That yep. is just that is as movie magic, yeah, as movie Amazing. magic gets. It's just Amazing. incredibly it special. Just like whoa, that's how it works, and it's and it just it just yeah, there was just something something about that telling you about the life of that ship and 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 just the life of being in the navy. Yes. You know, it was just like, wow, you're like side by side with like constant, like possible death at any moment. And oh. it's just, it just, wow. It, it, and, and I guess that's kind of what I mean with the, there's so much story packed into all those decisions that are, it's informing your understanding of that world without traditional exposition. But you just, you get that sense, oh my God, that's where the captain <laughs> sleeps and he's right next to where they're running out the guns. It all falls away. Kitchen falls away. It's just like yeah. you are right there. Yeah. It, it is just this tiny little, because you Magic. always wonder, like in so many of these big productions, there's that, you know, the sort of the beautiful lie is that it's like, where do people fit on this boat? Like, where do yeah. you have this thing? How yeah. does it work? And just actually seeing it all like peel away and it's just right there. It's like, oh no, yeah. it's not that big. It's not this huge. It's not like the yeah. Titanic under there. There's not like layers of things. It's just a, it's just a facade that pops up in the evening to, tr- you know, for, for, for modesty, if anything, it's not, it's nothing, yeah. nothing else. I, I don't have much more. I don't have much more that I needed to ask you. I'm just so mm. thrilled that you, um, you got to, you got to chat, but I would love because I've got you here. Um, and mm-hmm. I still have the opportunity to inject you at some point into, yeah. um, into Zodiac Chronicle too, as a little bit of a teaser oh, for this conversation. God. Could you tell me about working with Mr. David Fincher? Oh, of course. Yeah, I worked with David on um, Panic Room as well. Is that right? And Fight Club? Panic, Fight Club and Panic Room. Fight Club and Panic Room. And it uh, it's it's so funny because uh, I remember I was working on a movie with John Singleton. Uh, I, I storyboarded four of John's movies. And it was either Boys and you in the second, Hood. Or, and you second uned for John, right? I, I, yeah, I did second unit on... Uh, Poetic on like three of his poetic just higher learning, higher learning, and a little on Rosewood. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and um, uh, it was I think it was on Poetic Justice. We were in his office, 
and uh, he had just come back from seeing Seven, and he was raving about it. He was raving about it, and I was like, "Oh my God, really? I got to see this movie. I got to see this movie." And he was just like, it, "This guy's a genius. It's the greatest thing." Right? Just he was just like <laughs> over the moon about Seven, and I went to see it, and yeah, I was like, "That movie flattened me." I and it was just like. I have got to work with that guy somehow. He's my new <laughs> idol. And uh, sure enough, like it was like, it's 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 happened to me twice. It happened to me with Bra Bram Stoker's Dracula. And oh. then it happened again with Fight Club. I was, I just put it out into the universe. And somehow, I can't even remember how, it was like, God, I'm dying to work with David Fincher. Oh, you know, he's doing a new, uh, he's crewing up for a new movie right now. Really? What? And somehow I ended up getting onto Fight Club. It was just like this mystical, magical thing. It was like it was meant to be. And uh, it was great. Um, you'd heard all these you know, horror stories from people about him. And, oh, he's so tough. He knows everybody's job better than you know, this. And he's really you know, cold. And he's this, that, the other thing. And you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's exacting. And he's, uh, uh, um, there is that like, intimidation factor that sometimes you know, he, use, he plays that up. But wow, I, I found him to be really witty, you know, and a super sardonic sense of humor. But it's one of those things where we fairly, fairly early on, he kind of saw that I could I could hang, you know. Yeah. And uh, then we were like, work wise, we were like buddies. It was great. It was fantastic. And the, I think the on Fight Club, it started off. Uh, he was kind of dictating, you know, shot by shot by shot moment by moment by moment you know so a lot of the uh if uh if you ever see i, re I remember actually he he for a lot of the stuff he was doing little thumbnails and i was sticking nice and close to those and uh, uh sometimes he'd say you know go come up with a couple of little things here ideas for this and i'd go sure sure but he really knew how he wanted to shoot the movie and i remember uh talking through something with him and saying, um, yeah, I, you know, this pans over here and it, then it does that. And, you know, on the day, I don't know, maybe it'll be different, but I just did this version of this. And he was like, no, man, I shoot the boards. <laughs> yeah. like, I sh I, that's, that's what I shoot. And it's, it's like, yeah, he absolutely does. He, he can see it like, and then uh, uh, on- um, Panic room, I would imagine, would have, look, would have looked like a clock, like would have looked like the inner workings of a timepiece. That, that was the aspiration. I mean, he did the, the really, he had a 3D model of the entire house built. Mm. And it was the, he was a, a pioneer of uh, of 3D previs. Yes. And what he was doing was he he wanted to previs every minute of the movie. And in the with the 3D model, he also had like, he had a, a little digital Fisher dolly and a little digital, you know, camera and a digital mat box. So he would know exactly, well, can it go through this door? Why, yes. Well, okay, we'll have to wild that. So we'll build that into the set. But, and he wanted to like figure out a perfect plan that every, for every shot in the movie, of course it didn't really work. It doesn't, but, it never, it never, it never. Yeah, yeah. Obviously you have things that don't work. I think that that's the... And exactly as you said, there's the, the the room to be surprised or the room for something yes. to go, no, that's not working or that's or that's too obvious yeah. or you change your mind about it. But I think that I think that there's nothing wrong with 
having a crack at that. Like it feels like no. you've got oh, it. Oh, well, exactly, exactly. It was like it was like you could. It made perfect sense. It was like, wow, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure there were a lot of things that that really helped. Uh, you know, to, to pre-plan and know that, you know, oh, well, we're not going to be able to use that there because it's not going to fit with the way we design that. So either you have to change the, desi- the, desi- the design or change the shot. Yes. And, um, well, the technicians because- would have loved it, I imagine, because the guys are like, well, I don't have to build this stupid dolly on the outside of the house. Yeah. We don't need it. That, that, kind, need that kind of thing. But it's also, it was so meticulous that I remember looking at it and going like, yeah, well, it's going to be great until something goes wrong, you know, <laughs> because something all I had learned that much, something always goes wrong, no matter what you do or think, you just have to be ready for something to go wrong. And so it doesn't throw you off your game. It's I, just a law of nature. So you're drawing, let's just quickly sidestep because one of my favorite facts that I've learned, and this is sort of like tying back into one, one heat minute thing is mm. there was a time where Daniel Day-Lewis had a choice between Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah. and The Last of the Mohicans. And he yeah. chose Mohicans and Coppola yeah. was mad because Michael Mann got 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 Daniel Day-Lewis at the time because it was just that conflict. They just came up at the same time. And I just have to wonder, <laughs> you being an illustrator on there, was there ever a time, a crossover, were you on it when there was maybe a thought that it wasn't going to be Gary Oldman? You know what? Very early on, because I was on before Gary w- was on, and I remember, I remember going like, "Really, Gary Oldman? Okay." <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember if there was, uh, if there was, if I can, I'm trying to remember if I can, if I heard talk about. Um, I think I did. I think Daniel Day Lewis's name was floating around in the ether for a bit. Because I've because spoken, that, you know, you're a great illustrator and animator, of course. Oh. Like, our, I think our 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 uh, friend of the show, Brianna Ashby, who did our great mm. logo. I've a, a couple of the friends of our show have said, Brianna, now that we know mm. this fact about Gary Oldman um, and Daniel Day Lewis and Dracula, we need you to imagine <laughs> what it would look like if Daniel Day Lewis was Dracula. Oh, because yeah. if oh, we, yeah. we we need a we need a fan casted beautiful uh painting in your gorgeous style of daniel day lewis's dracula because it just feels like one of the greatest sliding door moments because obviously that movie actually feels in a lot of ways um such a stylistic endeavor just like panic room was like that 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 whole thing would have just i don't know much love to gary Oldman, but man i and I love it's, Last of the Mohicans, but man, I would have liked to see Daniel Day Lewis. It's Dracula. one of the great one. It's what if, <laughs> man? I, me too. Me, I, I have to say, it's 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 because you know, it's it wants to be a love story. That movie. It's a it's yes. a great romantic, you know, and to have a guy that that you know, Oldman did great. You know, he did. I thought uh, his performance was great, but to see Daniel Day Lewis take that on would have been. Wow, that would have been something else, man. Would have been pretty that special. Really would have been something else. Look, I am um, so grateful for your time. I'm not going to keep you for too much longer. Thank oh. you so much for being a I'm part of to this. I'm it, man. I, I'm just, yeah, look, I'm such a, an incredible admirer of your work. And I think, oh, and, 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 and I just want to say, honestly, because I can say this, um, I've watched many movies many, many times, and I think mm-hmm. that the true test of a great film is the level of scrutiny you can have on it <laughs> over and over again, and especially mm-hmm. you. I know you've got kids. When you've got young kids, you truly 
scrutinize the living daylights out of some yeah. movies and you get sick of them and you want to get rid of them. But genuinely into the Spider-Verse is a flat out unfathomable masterpiece. And oh. I just think that you guys, you talk about, you, you praise Peter Weir and you talked about, you know, getting the, getting to the essence of things. And mm -hmm. I think that you guys kind of miraculously did both where you did all the things that everyone had always wanted, but also got the essence of something that I think is so it's so hard to even touch, but you guys got mm -hmm. it. So look, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I'm a huge admirer. I don't know. It's my pleasure. It's, it, we had it. I have to, that film was such a team effort that it's impossible for, I, I think it's impossible for any one of us to take, you know, <laughs> credit for it's, you just simply couldn't, but uh, that's what we were trying to do. We we're trying to find the essence of it and find the essence of it and reveal it to people in a new way. I think probably is what we were really trying to do. Well, yeah, I think, I think not only did you did it, like, I think it's <laughs> undeniable. You did it. You, you absolutely did it. Um, yeah. I've even, my son even has a, a boss logic, uh, miles, you know, the, have you seen the miles oh, yeah. as air Jordan? Uh -huh. Have you seen uh -huh. that? Yeah. I've got a boss oh, logic yeah. poster for him in, the, oh, awesome. in his little bedroom. So yeah, they're, um, they're, they're going to grow up indoctrinated with your work. So look, I, I'm, I'm really pleased to, to actually sweet. finally get to chat oh. to you and tell you and gush a little bit about your work to you. It's nice to do it. Oh, thank you, man. I much appreciate it. And it feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible. Cause like, if you, if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark, a uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a, you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, 
um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything. God bless you. But Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I, I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that you can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.